When it comes to the commercialization of brands within the life science industry, too much reliance is placed on top performers to deliver the lion's share of the sales. It doesn't have to be that way. Teams have to have a level of consistency in the execution of customer experiences that drive sales across every single account and territory. My name is Mark Bradley and after 20 years excelling in sales productivity across multiple brands, I have learned how the access to and the utilization of customer and account knowledge is the key to success. Join me and my guests from within the industry to access new ideas, strategies and tips on how to develop consistency in the delivery of a customer experience across all of your teams that drive sales in every single account and territory. Right, folks, um, you're very welcome to the second in the Visibility podcast webinar discussion series. Um, we have invited uh, a gentleman called David Jones to join us here today. Um, David has, um, I'm not even going to give the years away here, David, I let you do that, but he's, he's quite a bit of experience working within national and international roles within the industry before moving into consultancy. Uh, David, you're very welcome uh, here to the discussion today. Can you maybe start off by maybe telling the audience a little bit about your history and why you are best placed as somebody to discuss commercial excellence with? Well, that's, that's teaming up nicely, Mark. I'm delighted to be here. As I say, the, uh, the background to Mark giving away the years is about 35 years in total with the industry. The first 20 were in multiple different roles, actually employed by varying different companies. Everything from sales rep, first line manager, second line manager, head of cardiovascular marketing, AstraZeneca. So I think I've seen all the challenges in the industry from all the different varying viewpoints. I've been in the field delivering the three key messages and being berated about not delivering them. And then I've tried to create some stories and uh, what would I say, some, some viable messages that get people infused and in understanding the customers as a marketeer. Very good, David. Um, I think with 35 years experience and with the expansive roles that you've worked in, that um, I have a few questions that I would like to put to you today and maybe hopefully not be too challenging. I'm sure you're, you'll be well able for them. Um, I suppose if we're focusing this towards uh, commercial excellence, David, just, just first of all, what is your understanding of commercial excellence? Well, for me, I think the main challenge with commercial excellence is actually getting the most out of the potential out of a brand that you can or with the goal of helping the customers to the best place they can get into. So in the consultancy for the last seven years, I've been helping people try to understand much more closely why customers do what they do. Because for me, the key of what happens is when you can really truly understand what your customer chooses, when they choose it and why. Yeah, that's, so in, that's... in short, commercial excellence would be about getting the most potentially can at your brand for the maximum customer benefit. Maximum customer benefit with the customer being your patient. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I think um, if you deliver for the patient, you'll deliver for the customer, you'll deliver for the company. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it, actually. So delivering for the patient, first of all, means that you're generating better outcomes. In yeah. order to do that, you have to make sure that you're finding the right patients. And this can be challenging for companies because they don't actually see the patient. 
So they're having to find the patient through the eyes of the customer. Yeah. That a fair assumption. Yeah. That's a, that's a more than fair assumption. Let's say centrally, you'll, you'll see a brand plan that includes a patient flow. That's if you're lucky and it'll increase, include why customers are prescribing, why they're changing between brands. Frankly, if that's not delivered, then you're probably reliant on the quality of your representatives in the field to actually make that journey and discovery. And you, this is probably where the challenge lies, because whenever you look at that patient journey and it sits within a brand plan, if there's only one patient journey within that brand plan, you're making the assumption that all your customers are actually dealing and managing these patients the exact same way, David, which is not, it's never the case. No, I would accept that, Mark. I mean, arguably it's a flaw, but it's the best fit plan that you can get because you can't actually physically get to each individual customer yourself as a marketeer as much as you'd like to. But David, if you've got a set of um, people on the ground across multiple roles, so if you, if you take into consideration that you've got cross-functional roles with um, medical science liaison, you've got market access people, you possibly have healthcare development managers, you have key account managers, and each and every one of them are actually dealing with their customers every single day. Either now the framework obviously has changed with respect to how they engage with them, but if they're engaging with them every single day and the customer is the greatest source of information as to how they manage their patient, surely, surely a company should be able to actually find out what processes are being applied in every single granular market environment and with every single customer as into the patient journey that has been applied in them areas? Well, in theory, yes, Mark. I think in practice, I've never seen such a thing. You know, as you said today, there, it seems to be kind of incredibly sensible that that's what you would want to try and do. The more you can understand each individual customer, the more chance you've got of getting a benefit specific to them that they will really motivate them to do the uh, prescribing. So, so, David, what you're saying in practice is that You've never seen this uh, within the industry. However, you agree that it's incredibly sensible to think um, that if companies knew their customer and the market environment better, that they could create personalized aligned engagements that would optimize the customer experience. Where do they get the information from that leads them to build out their intelligence that enables them to do their brand planning with respect to, so say for example, they're launching in the UK or they're launching in France for that matter. How do they access the, uh, the, the intelligence and what is the flaws in that if, if this so is what's happening? Fundamentally, Mark, the flaw is that it'll be limited because it'll all be through samples and market research. So it'll be an indicative sample. So for a patient flow, you probably try and get a, the flow from hundred patients and go with the best fit of that which clearly you know is better than nothing and if you get the right people in the the right focus groups you can start to dig down and actually get a a question flow that gets people to kind of expand on why they do what they do but it's still only going to be a microcosm of the whole market uh, maybe we should spend some time reviewing that uh, current practice um to really understand why commercial excellence will remain challenging if that process is to remain Generally, if you go back to these pieces that you've just talked about there, like primary market research and all the likes, so how does that process work? And, and, and we have agreed that there's flaws in it. I know where the flaws are, but from your perspective, 
how does that process work with respect to the numbers of responses they get? Um, who responds to these things? And, and how is that reflected across multiple brands within the same therapeutic area, which leads a lot of these companies to go and fish in the same ponds? Might be Mark. So that, that's a complete, uh, complete treatise on market research within the, the global pharmaceutical industry. Uh, I'll, I'll try and do my best on that. But fundamentally, a lot of it will probably come down to how good your researcher is, because when you're writing your first qualitative briefs, you need to be making sure that you're getting the right screening criteria, so you're getting the right sort of customers in there, so you don't just get the, the same people every time. You need to then make sure you've got a good facilitator who can actually bring forth and actually pick up on things as they come forward. So a good facilitator will be like a good representative. They'll keep digging down and asking why and trying to understand what it means. And then that all gets captured. And then again, you have to then just rely on a market researcher to bring it all into that one place. That's very skilled. That's very skilled yeah. in order to do that. But surely if you're taking, right, so say, for example, there's approximately 60,000 GPs in the UK and they're looking for a subset out of that 60,000, they'll probably um, create a, a criteria that's trying to reflect where they're positioning their brand in the market, of which they'll probably get down to maybe, what, five or 600 likely people that will hit the criteria that they're looking and they'll probably get a response rate of around about five to 10% out of that sub-segment of customers. I'd say that'd be fairly accurate. Most, most plans will probably be based on 100 GPs and probably somewhere between 30 and 70 specialists by country. Right, so 100 GPs out of 60,000. So surely there's a means for them to capture this intelligence and feed it back into the company much better than to give them a better understanding of the customer environment, the market environment, to enable them to really focus on how to position their brand with each and every customer. Well, it's something we try and encourage within the kind of account plans, isn't it? You try and get people at a much kind of more granular level to capture the insights into their um, account plans rather than just rely on the central piece. So what we have here is we have a number of images of um, launches that have taken place and we're 28 months into the launch. And as you can see, each of the national structures are built into different team sizes, whether they're reflecting CAMs or alternatively um, cross-functional teams. And in the majority, um, David, Whenever you look at a sales picture two or three years into a launch, this is what you tend to see. And for the purpose of the podcast audience, if there's a team of four, you see one outlayer who is totally performing and driving the sales for that national team and three other territories which are straggling pretty far behind. And this is reflective on all of the other national pictures if you have a team of eight, 12 or 16, where you have a number of outliers, which are top performers and a number of mid to low performers. Is this something that resonates with you, David? And is this something that you see quite a bit with in historical positions you've been in and also working with companies that you're working with currently? Mark, it's, it's an absolutely uh, perennial picture. 
where you get half a dozen top performers in a big team leading the way by quite some distance. And I don't think it really makes much difference about what therapy area it is or whether it was more recently or this year. It's, it's, a, it's a fairly continuous pattern where you see the top performers driving forward, probably based on their um, skill and attitude. Maybe by re reviewing the account planning process, we may actually find more evidence as to why the industry are inconsistent, inconsistent in the delivery of commercial excellence. But that's actually going to be one of our podcasts for the for the future. So we'll not dwell on that today. I would I would love to ask you why this is accepted by the industry, but we're not going to go there. That's a different story. All right. What I would be more concerned about understanding, David, and, and iterated to it there. Why does this happen? Yeah, again, Mark, I'm going to reiterate it comes back to skills and attitudes. So, as you say, you've got an equal potential on each territory. So the, the high performers and the diff, diff distance between their lines and the lower lines show you the actual potential that could be ex, um, ex, exacted from the um, the products. But what you're, you're saying there is that companies are actually leaving a lot on the table. And when you look at the potential that they're losing, um, this is nearly reflective in the, the, the variance and, and what the top performers are bringing in in their territories with uniform potential against what the other territories are bringing in. So what are the top performers better at? So I think given the same materials, what these guys are very much better at doing is going to customers and actually talking and listening to customers so that they really understand what's going on within an account and where the benefit for their product sits within that account, and they're much more than able to communicate that. And I think the attitude that takes two, two parts. You'll probably find they'll have a traditionally a higher level of activity, but the level of that activity will be much better quality in that they'll kind of keep on driving for understanding. So these guys know the customers much better. But you're assuming there as well, David, that once they actually understand their customer better, that they will then understand what is relevant for that customer as into the aligned benefit that not only it brings the brand, but also what brings to that customer and the management of them patients. Yeah, absolutely. As I said earlier, they, they, if it came down to one point, they understand the point at which the doctor prescribes, they know why he's prescribing and they fit the benefits of the brand to that much more readily than some of the lower performers. So, if you just allow me to summarize there, David, top performers are displaying a number of skills here. So first of all, they're displaying an ability to communicate, which includes questioning, which includes listening, um, so that they're accessing a deeper level of knowledge in the customer and the market environment. But then they're also displaying analytical skills, which enable them to develop the situational insights out of that intelligence that's captured so that they understand the challenges better that needs to be overcome, um, which then brings us to another skill set. So not only uh, have they these two skills, but they're then able to plan more effectively and they're able to execute that plan um, as they know what needs to be communicated to these customers and through what channel they need to communicate through which enables them to find more patients through the eyes of the clinician. What can the companies learn from these people 
And why have they not got the capacity currently to learn what these people are doing and then mimic that process? Oh, there's a question. How, how easy is it to mimic someone who's a high performer, Mark? That, that's the challenge. I think people can identify what the drivers are, but how do you implant those in? So but I think unless, unless... David, I would argue that these are influenced by the process that has been embedded by the companies. And if current technologies are not reflective of the process that needs to be applied by these people, and, and this is also influencing that team performance, maybe the process and the model needs a facelift. Otherwise, this performance is going to continue. And the technology supporting this process um, that's leading to this to, to, to this continuation of, of diverse performance across teams will need to be reviewed to enable leadership to bring their people with them. Uh, I think maybe the question there is just a little bit OTT. I don't think it's a question that you're using everything wrong and that you're not trying to bring people with you. I think as a manager, you have to kind of create the environment to bring people with you as far as you can. But I do believe that within certain bounds, people can only go so far. I would assume that you're right there and that the person that's sitting at the top of the tree, they've probably been developing their skill set over the last maybe 10 years or whatever to get to that point. So you're not just going to be able to bring somebody in and put a chip in them and just get them out there and get them going. There will be a development plan that needs to be put in place. But the first thing that I would believe has to be done, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but maybe the companies need to consider what knowledge the top performers are capturing about their customers and their markets and then understand how they glean the insights from that intelligence to effectively position strategies with them customers. Surely that can be mimicked. It should be able to this day and age, Mark. I mean, realistically, if you can kind of get into understanding what people are doing. I'm just going to stop. You, know, you would argue that, you know, you would argue that any kind of um, CRM system should be capturing this. Now, whether it's capturing it in a way that it's actually easy to then understand and interrogate is perhaps a whole different kettle of fish. One of the big challenges now at the minute, actually, with respect to the industry and the delivery of their commercial excellence strategies and development is going to be, they keep talking about, you know, the post-pandemic and the need now to improve um, the digital capabilities. And a lot of these companies are moving towards digital transformation. Is that going to fix this, David? It should, it should in one respect, and in other respects, it makes no difference. So I'll explain that. So if, as you alluded to, the top performers have been building the skills over years and years, and they're able to get in to see more people, that's now gone with the need for COVID not having any activity. So you can see that probably a, a lot of the high performers perhaps have lost the benefits they had to the time and territory, the ability to gain access. So that then means you've got to work on digital access, which frankly doesn't change the whole 
picture at all. It means you still have to understand your customer, you still have to make a customer benefit, and you still have to convince the customer to use it. Digital is just a new channel. So I think people are rushing headlong saying, yeah, we can digitize some PDFs and make them interactive and we'll still see our customers. And I just don't hold that to be true. I think you've got to understand the whole of that digital area in the same way as you would understand the customer's needs. By that, I mean, you know, when are they going to use it? Why do they use it? What's going to be the hook that brings them in? And I think unless you can actually address that, you're not just going to shift your audience across from face to face to digital. Yeah, I think that that's, the, the problem, David, just even to think back to what you've just said there, but the problem that existed prior to COVID was that maybe companies didn't have critical intelligence or access to the critical intelligence in their customer and their market across all of their territories at a granular level. And as a result, everybody's presenting messages, but are they the right messages with the customer? And just because now you have a digital capability. If you don't get the message right that has to be sitting with the customer, it doesn't matter whether it's a digital communication or a traditional communication, it's not going to progress your customer to be the user of your brand for the suitable patients that they have under their and their caseloads that they are responsible for managing. Would that be? Uh, I'd say that's a fairly good summary, Mark. I said. I think digital just means it's another way of reaching customers. Yeah. And I think you've probably got to look at your customer group as a Venn diagram. Some will be digital, some will be digital and face-to-face. -face. Some will just be face-to-face. -face. And you've got to try and understand how they want to be reached and what sort of information they want to have presented to them in what format. Very good, David. Well, just to wrap this up, because we don't like taking up too much time from our audience, but what uh, if I could summarize what you've been saying, and, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, if I've summarized this inaccurately, but what you're suggesting is that there's a variance across performances within national teams as a result of the capabilities and possibly the attitude that has been displayed by these top performers in comparison to, to other people. There's a need for companies to utilize these individuals to understand their customer and the market environment better so that they can be more specific about the delivery of a strategy with the right interaction through the right channel at the right time in order to drive and build an aligned value for the customer and for the management of the patient, but also for the brand. Yeah, I think in a nutshell, Mark, what I'm saying is you need to understand your customers better. <laughs> pretty much through whatever route. So. Yeah. If you can if you can model the behaviors of the top performers and make more people behave like them, you're going to drive more potential. Mm. If you understand that digital is just a channel that you've still got to work out what the basic marketing principles are, you've still got to deliver a value proposition, but it's just going to be to a different group of customers that like digital as opposed to face-to-face. -face. There you have it. Know your customer better. There, guys, you have heard it straight from the horse's mouth. There you have it. There's the words he used. There you have it. It's in the simple terms. David, thank you so much for giving up your time today to enable me to have a conversation with you. I'm really trying to get to the bottom of um, what commercial excellence and the challenge of driving commercial excellence is within the industry. Um, I'm just going to reach out to the audience here now. Tune in in the next couple of weeks we're going to have another um, big hitter sitting in here where I'm going to be asking them questions about the, the challenges facing teams in the delivery of commercial excellence. 
once again, David, thank you very much for your time. And I look forward to catching up with you soon. It's a pleasure, Mark. Anytime.